Hello and welcome to Shrink Wrapped, a podcast created specifically for psychiatrists to provide you with bite-sized insight from leaders in your field. My name is Arden Thomason. I'm the CEO and founder of Thalamos, a company which creates bespoke software for psychiatrists. Our goal is to create the digital tools that you need to deliver the best possible care for your patients. This week's podcast is a phone conversation I had with Dr. Leslie Haynes, consultant psychiatrist and chair of the Royal College of Psychiatrists Independent Practice Special Interest Group. Leslie shares with us how she first got into independent practice and some of the things she's learnt along the way. We do hope you enjoyed listening. To kick off then, if I may, I know we, we obviously know each other, but would you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about the work that you currently do? My name's Dr. Leslie Haynes and I'm a psychiatrist. I've been a psychiatrist since 1987 and a consultant since 1995. At the moment, I'm working independently as a portfolio career, but I'm also chair of PIPSIG, which is the Private and Independent Practitioners Special Interest Group at the Royal College of Psychiatrists. Wonderful. How long have you been involved with PIPSIG? Well, I've been involved with PIPSIG since I became, since I went into private practice, so that's 2009. And I'm chair of PIPSIG since 2017, and mm-hmm. I was the vice chair before that. And what's the objectives of PIPSIG within the college? So how does, so forgive me, obviously, as you know, I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a member of the college, but can you explain a little how the special interest, interest groups work and particularly PIPSIG? Right. Well, the, the special interest groups, there's 15 of them in the college altogether, and they, mm-hmm. they, they look at areas that are of general interest and, and tend to cross boundaries. The college has faculties, so it's got general adult psychiatry, child and adolescent psychiatry, addictions, etc. But the the special interest groups look outside those silos, so they try and cross over those silos. And so is your remit to promote the doctors within independent work or to kind of link them up? Or how do you see the role of, of PIPSIG within the college? Well, the the as far as I'm concerned, the, there's there's two purposes of PIPSIG within the college. One is to maintain links of those, those that are working in independent practice, helping them to maintain links with the college. Because quite a lot of college information, informal information sharing comes through trusts. And if you don't work in a trust, you miss out on it. Okay. Uh, the other one is to provide a network of people that are working in independent practice. Right. That's, that's got so do you have networking events and things? And yeah, so it's got the backing of the college. And how does one become, uh, do, do you become a member of, of PIPSIC? What's the, if you're, a, oh, is there nothing if you're interested in independent it? practice? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't have to do, you don't have to sit an exam or do an interview or anything. If you join the college, you are invited to join as many of the special interest groups as you like. Mm-hmm. So when you join the college, you just tick a box on the um, on the form, and if if you change your mind after you've joined the college, you go onto the college website and tick a box on the form, and that, and then you'll receive communications from that special interest group. And you do you do training, is that right as well? Is that part of the not agreement? not particularly training. What 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 I'm trying to make it is so that Pipsig is a resource 
for continuing professional development and the requirements of appraisal and revalidation for those that work outside managed practices. So we, we, ha we have a couple of events a year. Our next event, which is on July the 12th, is going to be called Since You've Been Gone. Uh, and that's yeah. looking at, at developments over the last 10 years, because that just coincides with how long I've been gone. Developments in psychiatry over the last 10 years that you might miss out on if you are not working in a big organisation. What, what so, kind of developments are those? So things like updates in updates in depression. We we all we all do continuous professional development, and we all read journals and attend courses. But if you're not working in in a managed organisation, you sometimes lose track of what's fluff and what's real. Mm -hmm. And and this is to try and point us towards the things that are making a difference in day-to-day -day practice. So things like updates on treatments for depression. I don't know if you've heard of RTMS, which is repetitive, repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation. And that's an up and coming treatment for depression, but it's new. And so it's not made it into nice guidance yet. So if you're not, if, if you're not working with it, you lose touch with it. So we were having somebody to come and talk about RTMS. Somebody's coming to talk about ADHD and autistic spectrum disorder, developments in schizophrenia, hopefully somebody talking about social media and, and the impact that's having on mental health. How interesting. And then the second one will be a, a starting out an independent practice day. When is that? Is that later in the year? That'll be November time. And is that how you, well, first of all, how do doctors who are interested in going to that first one, how do they sign up? Is it through the college? Yeah, it'll be booked. It's, We've already sent out a preliminary warning, if you like, and that's gone to everybody who's in PIPSIG. Mm -hmm. And once we've firmed up the programme, so again, probably by the end of next week, that will go on the college website and on their events page so that people can do that if they want to. Fantastic. I suspect that's going to be people that are outside of general organisations. I don't think it will be of much interest of trainees, for example, because they'll be, they're in the thick of it. They know what's going on. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? So whilst yeah. they're training, they're seeing all these developments. Yeah. But then you, you step out and start to lose touch with them. Yeah, yeah. And is that your objective for the group going forward? Uh, or are there any other plans afoot? It, I mean, it's really a, a starting point for areas that are difficult for people in independent practice. My hope, there's, there's two regions that have regular small meetings, the West Midlands, which is my region, and Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to set up a network of regional groups, so eight regional groups that will have three meetings a year of people to meet up. And that way, those groups can feed into the PIPSIG exec and we can feed back to the college. And, and the, the, the final aim, but this is a bit power mad from my point of view, is that I would like there to be a PIPSIG rep on all of the various college divisional meetings so that when they make decisions, there's somebody in the room that's saying, hang on a minute, how can you do this if you don't work in an NHS trust? That's interesting. So, so trying to get the college just to be more mindful of the doctors that are in independent practice. Yeah. I mean, there's more and more of us, particularly in the addictions field. Quite a lot mm -hmm. of, quite a lot of um, commissioning groups are commissioning services from people that are outside the NHS. And mm -hmm. doctors that were working in the NHS all of a sudden find themselves employed by a charity. Lo and behold, they're out of the NHS embrace without realising it. And do you offer them guidance when that happens? I mean, I, I imagine that's an unnerving 
thing to happen if you all of a sudden find yourself outside of the NHS. Yeah, I mean, as far as, far as legal guidance, practical guidance, there's the British Medical Association and all sorts of other people for that. But in terms of support and, and ways of being able to engage with other people, it's more peer group support and supervision and a chance to be okay. able to discuss things with people who may not have been through the same thing, but have certainly had experiences that outside the ordinary NHS turn up, get paid experience. These are quite nicely onto one of my other questions. How did you, I mean, I assume you followed the, the you know, the, the typical path. You qualified, you were a doctor, if you went into the NHS, which is what one does in the UK. And then I assume you worked your way through to consultant. Can you perhaps just tell me if that's right? If it's wrong, let me know. But how and how and why you decided to head down the independent route? Why the independent route? Mm -hmm. Oh, I, mean, I fell out with my employers really and left the NHS in a fit of peak. Right. <laughs> well, there's a story there somewhere. There is. That's all you're getting. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't sign a non-disclosure agreement. It's just like like lots of rows. It's just too boring. I mean, it meant a lot right. at the time, but when you try and explain it to somebody, you see their eyes glaze over. So you just found yourself in independent practice. Did you? You just said, right here I am. Yes. Yeah. I, I just thought I'm not. I'm, I'm not I'm not doing this anymore that things things aren't changing promises that are being made aren't being fulfilled I'm I'm going and right. there there was it wasn't planned there was a showdown with the with the various bosses and I walked out of the meeting and handed in my notice really so there wasn't some big strategic no, there was, I, I don't necessarily recommend it. Although what, what I did, <laughs> what, what I did do was make absolutely certain that for three months I didn't go back because it, because the risk was to leave, apply for a similar job in another trust somewhere, and find yourself in exactly the same situation. So I, I just right. I just I took three months where I was, if you like, it felt like I was a hamster on a wheel, and mm -hmm. I, I just I just spent three months off the wheel. Because when you right. first get off the wheel, all you can see is the wheel and your legs are still going. And if you go back yeah. on the wheel, you'll just carry on. So three months out to have a think about what Three months next. out to have a think about things. And to, when I was thinking about things, to, to get trained for them. So, you know, so to, so to do a business management course, to do a certificate in report writing, attend the Bond Solon Medico Legal Expert Evidence course. Where did you go to find that, those courses? Oh. Google like everybody else. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they are there. They are there. They are there. Yeah. Okay. And you talk to other people and you know, you find out what's good and you bump into somebody and say, What have you done? They say, Oh, this was no, we wouldn't bother with that, that was a waste of time or that was really mm -hmm. good. There's lots of different types of independent work. Did you explore different options when you were in that three months or following that three months? After the three months, yes. It was always the intention to establish a portfolio career. So the idea was I did some consultancy because I've been a clinical director. I was doing locums. I was doing Section 12 approval work um, and was doing medico-legal work. Okay. As, as time's gone on, the medico-legal work has ended up taking up most of my time, really. Is there a reason for that? Well, I enjoy it. Um, That's a good enough I, reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I enjoy it, and the way I do it, I, I go deeply into things. So it takes, it does take a long time going through sort of two boxes of notes. So what kind of what kind of medico legal work do you do? 
mainly. The, when, I, when I started, it was a cross between criminal work and civil work. But as I've become, as the demand for my services increased, I can't, I can't respond in time for the criminal courts. So, so it's been nearly all civil work. And it's, it, most of it is clinical, clinical negligence or personal injury and the psychiatric right. consequences of what's happened to people. How does a typical engagement for you go then? Do you get a call from the solicitor? Yeah, the solicitor will get in touch with me and say, you know, we've, we've got this lady who's had a stillbirth or we, we've, we've got somebody whose spinal lesion was missed and now they're paralysed, can you, can you see them? And uh, I, I will talk about the psychiatric consequences of those. You mentioned boxes of notes, so does the solicitor send you all the case notes? Yeah, once, once, once you've agreed terms and things, they send you all the case notes. And then you go off and, and then see the individual? And yeah, you, you, see, you see the individual and I see them at home. Your home? No, at their, at their home. At their quite, home. Quite often. Uh -huh. I mean, if, if, again, the two examples I've given paralysis, it's much easier for me to go to them. And stillbirths, if, you know, people have got young families, it's hard to trek halfway across the country to be at a place for a certain time. So mm -hmm. I see them at home. The only thing I would say is if people are seeing patients or clients in their own homes they need to have public liability insurance so that's separate from your medical medical defense union yeah okay so you go and see them in your home and then you you write up the report write up the reports then conferences with barristers most of what i do is for the claimant but not all um, so you might talk to the defendant's psychiatrist and decide on the areas that you agree or disagree on and then trials Right. And so do you go, do you, do you find yourself often in court? No, very rarely. Right. It's, um, and how do you... The majority of cases have been settled out of court. And how does, how does that work? So the solicitors sit around a table or the barristers sit around a table and, and reach an agreement? Yeah. Yeah. You, right. But you're not involved in that at all. You, right. you're, 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 you're basically a weapon in the armory of the solicitor. So, so, okay. so they have your report and they'll do their arguing and you, you, you only actually, quite often, you only actually get to meet the barrister if you go to court. So everything else is done on the telephone. And how do you charge, don't give me numbers, but how do you charge an hourly rate, case rate? I charge an hourly rate and I charge half my hourly rate for travel. Right. Occasionally, I do breach of duty, which is, for example, somebody went to see a psychiatrist, wasn't sectioned and killed themselves. And they say, you know, should they have been sectioned? Right. So, so with those, there's no interview with the person, obviously. So clearly, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so with with those, I might, I might charge a, a flat rate. I'll say, send me the notes, and I'll do the report for this much. But, but, okay. but usually, it's an hourly rate. For if if you go to court, I charge a daily rate for the court. And so, do you are you bound by legal aid or not? I do legal aid work because because I'm an old socialist and think you should really. <laughs> Um, but but that subsidises the the other work, right? Uh, no, um, sorry, that is subsidised by. Yeah, so I do legal aid work. I do yeah. legal aid work, but that's subsidised by the by the insured work. And how many? How long does a typical case take you? How much time's involved generally? It's a long time. The interview with the client is is lengthy it's much much more lengthy than it would be for a standard psychiatric interview for me anyway certainly for my peers nobody i don't think does it in less than two hours i try and do it in three quite often it's a little bit longer and then right. you interview an informant 
so somebody else who knows the person that can sort of give you an idea about how they are going through the notes takes a long time and it's up to 10 hours to write the report crikey so it's a, so they're quite meaty bits of meaty oh, yeah. bits of work yeah and how many cases would you have on at any one time oh it, impossible to say they last a long time i'm doing court in july and the injury for that was 2010 i saw the person in 2013 wow that is a long time it, yeah they last a long time the, the the wheels of the nhs move slowly but the wheels of the court move a lot slower and how sorry to be slightly indelicate but how do you get paid through that process then are you <laughs> do you have to wait until the end of the case i do i do and oh my, my word my, my accountant thinks i'm mad you don't have to you you can work through agencies you can come to agreements with solicitors that you will get paid in advance or you come to agreements with solicitors that you will get paid after 12 months. I haven't liked to work through agencies. I've had a couple of bad experiences with those. Don't want to right. tar them all with, all with the same brush, but once bitten twice shy, really. And you, yes. know, you only have to use debt collectors once to say, I'm never doing this again. Um, right. yeah. so, so because I don't work through agencies, I have agreed that I will just accept payment as and when. When does that conversation come up with the lawyers? Is that something that at somebody new to this? So yeah. it, would it be how would a lawyer's quite forthcoming with this, or is it down um, to you to be? This is my rate. This is how I work. Yeah, I, I've got right. I've got terms and conditions of service that say that I want to be paid within ninety days. If I'm not paid within 90 days, I'll charge interest at the going rate, plus I think, plus 3%, I think. Um, I've never actually imposed those terms and conditions of service, so I have no idea whether they're legal or not. So when the solicitors get that, they'll quite often get back to you and say, are you prepared to defer? So is if, that the parlance, is it? Yeah. Are you, are you prepared to defer payment? Or will you work through an agency and the agency will pay you? So. And you, when you say to that... And I, I don't want I, to work I, through an agency. I, I say right. I'm prepared to defer. At the end of a case, a judge will go through the costs. They call it a cost assessment and mm -hmm. say, that's too much. We're not paying that. If you're paid straight away and the judge cuts down on your costs, says your, your costs are too expensive, then you have to refund the money to the solicitor. So, so I, it's actually kind of better to be paid at the end. Well, ex yeah, but my deal is I'm happy to defer. But mm -hmm. you have seen what my terms are. You've seen how long this is going to take. You know my hourly rate. I'm not prepared to be subject to a cost assessment. So if the judge does cut the costs, you have to bear that. Okay. And how do lawyers react to that? They're okay. Yeah. Yeah. They've been. Yeah. They've been. I've not had a problem with that. Right. So you you would advise people to put that in as a well. You're very clear at the beginning. Yes. That's really great advice. Yeah. It's spreading the risk, isn't it? If the solicitor's going to, if you're going to carry the risk of not being paid for five years, then I, I don't see that, the, that you should also then be subject to a costs reduction. From my point of view, I quite like the idea that when I retire, money's going to be dripping in for the next five years. <laughs> <laughs> that makes good sense. I can see why you'd like that. Because you pay the tax on it straight away. But, so it's my money and I can spend it all. <laughs> Ah, oh, there you go. <laughs> Is that the most challenging part of, of operating independently, getting the finances and the invoicing and, and collecting money? Or what would you say, if not, what would you say is the, the most challenging part? I wouldn't say it's the most challenging part. It's the most relentless. It's like painting the fourth road bridge. 
it, and it's not my thing and I always put it off and I usually put it off until I've got something really big and important to do and then it all, all of a sudden becomes really important and it does take up a lot of my time if you can employ somebody good to do it for you it's well worth doing it and the last question on your work medical legal work where do you find the work do solicitors just know you now or how did you start to find the work in the first place yeah it was it was an iterative process really i had a look on the mental health there's there's a group of solicitors that are interested in mental health law and family law and I wrote mm-hmm. to them all and said that, you know, my name's Dr. Haynes. I'm a consultant psychiatrist. I'm doing medical legal work. I've been trained. I've got a Bon Solon certificate in expert witness work. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't tremendously fruitful, to be honest. I, I did get a few requests to assess patients for tribunals to do independent assessments for people who were appealing against the fact that they'd been detained in hospital. But mm-hmm. not an, not an awful lot. And the funding for that has dried up lately, so there's not very much of that going on. A friend who was a solicitor put me in touch with the company she works for. So I saw my first case for them, and they really liked my report, and so started using me all the time. And from then, they will then use a barrister, and the barrister really liked my report. And when that barrister was employed by a different solicitor, he said, why don't you use Dr. Haynes? And it's mushroomed since then so the first you've got to find the one yeah yeah the first 12 months was really slow but then after that I would say after two years so April 2011 I've not been able to see somebody within six months the first 12 months was 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 really slow so it's finding the one and that's where you've got your networks last Pipsig meeting somebody came that hadn't been before she gave me her card she's just setting out Solicitor gets in touch with me and says, can you see such and such a body by June? I say, no, but this lady's just setting out. She may have time. Fantastic. The old boy network. I don't, you know. It, it, yeah, yeah. These things are. They, yeah. A lot of these things are, I think. And I, yeah. I suppose that leads reasonably neatly into my next question, which is what advice would you, would you offer junior psychiatrists who are interested in working independently? So perhaps they are senior trainees on the cusp yeah. of, of becoming consultants not that not yet there but um starting to think about you know what the future holds for them what, yeah. what advice might you offer them well i think you really need to get your experience first i don't think i could have done what i had done if i hadn't have done my time in the nhs as a consultant so i would get i would at least seven years i would say as a consultant right saying saying that i do know that younger doctors are much more interested in portfolio careers now than they used to be and the idea mm-hmm. that you go into an nhs job and stay there and don't do anything else is going so if you're going to do that you need to make sure that you plan your job properly what, so, does, so, what do you mean by that so so if, you, if you're working partly for the nhs and partly for yourself make sure that the nhs people know that that's what you're doing have that in your job plan and so make sure them aware yeah, and and also make sure that you you're very clearly delineated what's NHS work and what's not NHS work. So keep your boundaries very clear. Sound advice. The 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 other thing, the two 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 other things I I would say is don't be afraid to turn work down. If you're busy. What you tend to get a boom and bust. Right. So you'll go through a phase where you get nothing, and then you'll go through a phase where you get hundreds. And the temptation is to accept all of the hundreds. Because you're worried that if you get a, a bust period, you're not going to do it. And then you look at your diary and you haven't got any holiday. 
So plan your holidays, get them down in the diary at the beginning of the year. Don't make appointments for them. And if something comes up that you can't do in the time you've got, say, I'm sorry, I can't do it. Don't say, I'm going to fit it in. I'm assuming that's because you'll then end up either overworking yourself or letting somebody down. Yeah. You, you, you know, you're working till three o'clock on Sunday morning. And that, that's that's, that's not fun. what you that's not what you <laughs> planned to do. Other ones, um, make sure you get trained for what you do, which is as I say, I did my medical legal course. Don't assume that just because you've got experience in psychiatry, you know what's going to be good in the medical legal report. Same with the business. Do the courses. Do the courses. And the last one is use your peers. Find peers wherever you can. Don't be afraid to ask them the things. Turn up to the PIPSIG meetings? Not necessarily. You can just phone friends. <laughs> Turn up to the meetings is fine. I don't, I don't make it, we don't charge. Well, we charge for the annual meetings, but, you know, they, they, they're all voluntary. <laughs> You're welcome yeah. to come. You know, don't ne- it doesn't necessarily have to be through PIPSIG, but find friends and don't be afraid to ask people. Thank you very much indeed. Last couple of questions, kind of slightly separate from you specifically and a, and a little bit more general. This is something you and I have spoken about before, but there's an increasing public interest in mental health and mental ill health. And we now have Princess William and Harry on the case as well. Do you see that having an impact on the profession? Do you see more people coming to you or, or, or discussing it from a medical point of view? How do you see that greater profile? having an effect mm, it's a double-edged sword really I mean, it, it's wearing raising awareness is good except what's the point in being aware that you've got a mental illness if it's going to take you 13 weeks to see a psychiatrist or all or, or, or you then have is 13 weeks more, more of, of hell what, what's what's the point in being aware that you've got mental illness if you're not going to see somebody you're frightened of talking about it what is good about it is it reduces the stigma probably reduces the stigma we're not sure whether it does or not but the fact that you don't if we get into a situation where you don't have to lie about the fact that you've seen the psychiatrist that you don't have to lie on job applications or insurance forms saying that you've seen a psychiatrist then that has to be good the fact that William and Harry are on the case is going to reduce that sort of stigma so it's not just the publicity the change you want to see is a, a little bit more fundamental level by the, by the sounds of it, the fact you don't have to lie on an insurance form. Is that yeah. something that people are regularly doing? Well, it, it, it's getting less now, but it's, right. it still does happen. That's and the front line of reducing the stigma. Yeah, stigma. yeah. Okay. job applications is, is, a, is a big one. None of the patients I know that have asked admit to having seen a psychiatrist on the job applications, and they say when we did, they just didn't get an interview. And I know there's equal opportunities, but it's very difficult to prove. I mean, it's, get, it's getting less so. The ones who did get interviews were the ones where somebody on the interview panel had had a mental illness themselves. We'll get proper equity when you can put depression or schizophrenia on a job application form the same as you can put previous heart attack or diabetes. The William and Harry stuff might help that happening. My fear of it is that we are starting to pathologise normal emotional responses and we're also trivialising serious illness and you hear people saying oh I'm a bit OCD today and Mm -hmm. they mean they're a bit tense or they're paying particularly you know they've been particularly pernickety they've no idea what OCD is like and it doesn't do anybody with OCD any favors no that's a very that's a very valid point you get your it's a double-edged sword it's Um, a a double-edged sword 
And the last one is we've got limited resources. Recently, all the commissioning has been towards providing immediate responses to comparatively minor illnesses, which isn't bad. But if that then takes the resources away from those with serious illness, uh, that's not good. Well, I tell you what, we, know, we normally end these things with a couple of lighter questions. That was um, <laughs> a good point. So, so I suppose, what is the favourite thing about what you do at the moment about being involved in psychiatry? Okay. Well, I like the flexibility of working for myself. I like the ability to prioritise. And for the medico-legal work, I like the fact that you can spend time going through boxes of notes and finding out about people. You can spend as many hours as you like talking to them and getting down to the nitty-gritty. You can spend as, as long as you like reviewing what the best evidence is on cases that you've diagnosed or what the best treatment is or what the prognosis is, which you just don't have time for if you're doing a clinic in the NHS. Cracking answer. Thank you very much. Lastly, what is it that you do to de-stress, to de-work? You mentioned holidays earlier on, but what's your kind of Leslie switch off? Yeah, well, if it's holidays, I'll walk. We, we walk national trails. Oh, so, very nice. So walk for miles. That's good. You sort of, you get an almost zen sort of meditation type thing about trudging 11 miles along a path. <laughs> <laughs> And obviously, you know, in, you know, scenery is good. You're not walking through town centres. Cook day to day, reading really, and I suppose the shameful thing is doing Candy Crush. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. I was about to ask you what what book are you reading at the moment, if uh, if you are. Well, well, I've I've just finished one called Dodgers by Bill Beverly, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend to anybody. <laughs> the last book okay. I enjoyed was one called The Wall by John Lanchester. Yeah, it's not I'm exactly not a laugh a minute. It's, it's all about climate change and the dystopian future, but I, I did enjoy it. Crikey, that sounds, uh, sounds heavy duty, but, but, but yes, I'll, duty, I'll note it yeah. down. Candy Crush, I'm very pleased. There's a guilty pleasure in there too. <laughs> there is. Though. You can always tell whether I'm enjoying a book or not because all my books are on the Kindle, uh, on, the, on the iPad. So yeah. um, if, if I'm bored, I realise that I'm doing Candy Crush by accident. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you, know, you know that the book hasn't gripped you if, you if you find yourself doing Candy Crush. Well, Leslie, thank you ever so much for taking the time to speak to us. It's a um, pleasure. I really do appreciate it. And I hope that those uh, who are listening to this and who are interested in independent practice kind of sign up to Pipsig if they haven't already and turn up to both the training and to the event. Yeah, thank you. Get in touch with me to set up a group in, in the northeast and the southwest and other places. <laughs> so where, where do you need southeast? Got central. We're getting yeah. northwest appearing. So northeast, London and the southeast, southwest, Scotland. Brilliant. Thank you very much for listening. We do hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please do share us with your colleagues. We're on both Spotify and on iTunes. Also, I'd be very interested to hear your thoughts and your feedback. In particular, if there are any topics you think we should be covering in the future. Please just drop me a mail, arden at thalamos.co.uk. Our next episode will be out in a fortnight. We look forward to speaking with you again then.